Hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode of 2022 here on the Spectre Cinema Club, a horror podcast obsessed with subgenres. I am one of your hosts, Devon Taylor. Joined with me as always, we got co-host Garrett McDowell. Devon, I'm so happy to be here that I'm not even going to mention that you just messed up and said 2022. Oh, shit. Yes. Damn. Yes. Well, we're talking 2022 still for like the next month so like it's on the brain it's on the brain so I it's get kind it. of extended 2022 but uh first of uh 2023 um there it is which is uh <laughs> super exciting i mean you know it's kind of that same thing where you um how you keep writing the the wrong year like when you write out dates like i do that for the first like two months 100 percent. yeah it's uh it's the muscle memory of it all you know i feel like i used to do that a lot in grade school when i was actually writing out the date but it's in a digital world, Devon. I don't have to worry about that now. Oh, well, you know, I'm a bartender. I'm dating stuff all the time, like perishables and things like that. So I still get the handwriting in. But, uh, yes, 2023, very excited. But, of course, you know, 2022 was such a big year for horror. I mean, the, the past five years in general have just been exceptional, I think. But this past year, just numbers and quality-wise we're pretty fantastic so we got a lot to talk about as we're going to go through our best uh list we're going to make a collective list here and then uh through the rest of january we will be uh doing episodes on our favorite picks and uh joining us uh to make this collective list is a uh our resident beat writer um he, he we brought him in because he's got he's got the numbers you know this guy sees more new releases than more people that i know and it is mr matt donato from certified forgotten Thank you very much for having me back and the flexing for me so I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> damn, like you, you put in the work, man. When, when you sent me uh, your total number, I was like, hot damn. I was like, you know, like you're really out here doing it. So uh, we, we had to get you back on for this one. No, I appreciate it. And like the funny part is, and we, we'll talk about the numbers, obviously, but that number doesn't include all the non-genre stuff I also write about and review and all that. So like, let your mind be blown even more that it's probably double, maybe even triple. And and all the festival picks that aren't eligible for, for this list as well. So it's pretty, pretty wild. I, I'm tired is basically what I'm trying to say. I'm very tired. <laughs> we, all, we all are, you know, coming uh, down from that holiday hangover. Um, but, uh, to, to kind of kick it off, like, uh, you know, uh, what are your general feelings on, uh, this year in horror as far as, uh, you know, numbers wise quality, like, uh, like how did you feel about this year? I, numbers wise, it's, it's getting so daunting because I, not to date myself or anything like that, but like, you know, I started doing this almost a decade ago at this point, maybe even a little more than that. And I remember when you could spend a whole year keeping up with every single horror release because we didn't have all the streamers it was vod and theatrical and vod wasn't really what vod is now even so i i could maybe hit 100 new release horror movies in a year in the early 2010s and you can keep on top of that with the other work but numbers wise alone it, it's so crazy to say i've watched over 130 new release horror films again devon as you said not even counting festival movies that aren't released yet and it it brings with it so much good and bad. And I mean that quality wise, I mean that workload wise and 2022 somehow just weighed so heavily towards the positive. I think it was such a great year for horror, just uh, theatrically streamer wise, VOD wise. There were so many horror movies on my end of year list that pulled from every sector 
of like the release platforms and it, like that doesn't always happen uh I, I remember past years where like theatrical struggles tremendously but vod picks up the slack and streamers are taking over i i don't think that really happened this year like i'm sure we're going to get into it but my list was filled with like the mainstays you know the screams the franchises but also the little things like the shutter releases and also again something like Screenbox up and coming which is a platformer that no one really it talks about that much on a level with Shutter, but they're coming out the gate firing. So I, 22 is a great damn year for horror. Hell yeah. And uh, how, how are you feeling numbers wise, Garrett, and about the year in general? I know I know your uh, travel woes kind of uh, limited your cramming uh, this past week, but uh, but how do you feel about the year in general? Yeah, to cue in the listeners, I had some, uh, like a lot of the country right now, some quite difficulties getting home from the holidays, and I'm still struggling with that. And my end of the year kind of catch up session uh, that there was like a, a probably 10 or so movies that I was really wanting to kind of shotgun didn't end up happening. So my numbers, not even compared to Matt is uh, pretty abysmal right now. Uh, as of the 94 movies that I did watch this year, uh, about a third of those uh, were horror, but of the ones that I did watch, I was very impressed with this year. Um, I think horror just continues to be a genre that pushes original storytelling um, and storytelling that even at a low budget can strike such a chord with mainstream audiences. Um, I think although there are a number of sequels uh, this year, uh, I also look at some other big studio releases that were original titles. And I think it's so great that horror continues to be a genre that champions uh, champions these um, original stories and the, uh, you know, the ability to kind of bring a new generation of, of storytellers and directors and writers along and, you know, really just uh, capture the, uh, the imagination of audiences. Yeah. I, I think we did like really hit a sweet spot this year of uh, like uh, Denial was saying, kind of, of every corner we got quality, you know, whether it be because uh, I'd say in the past few years, you know, the indie horror has really been like kind of what's been pumping out a lot of these like really great films. But now, I think it's, you know, people see the interest in those and they see the success on the ones that do get to theaters. So now we are getting, you know, uh, studios willing to put more original stuff in theaters. So it's like, yeah, we got like some really good mainstream, uh, big wide release films. Um, I mean, I mean, how like, you know, the Bones and All got released to like 6,000 theaters. Like that's pretty crazy uh, for a, you know, cannibal love story. Um, so it's like, you know, just just that, you know, that kind of testament. But then we got the indies, we got the mainstreams, but then also within, uh, you know, we got lots of originals. But then, yeah, this was definitely a year of a lot of, uh, you know, uh, franchises uh, getting newer entries, some old, some recent. So uh, we really did just kind of get a little bit of everything. And it just feels like it, it was a, a nice sweet spot uh, uh, for horror this year. But look at who was creating all those mainstreams. I like go down the list, and I mean, the Black Phone was Cargill and Derrickson. Uh, X is Ty West. Um, you just keep mm -hmm. going, and Radio Silence did Scream. So we finally hit that point where, to your credit, you know, indie horror was taking over for such a long time because I don't think studios were recognizing the talent in the indie horror scene and they just kept having the same people try to crank out like all right here's another mainstream director who's going to do a horror movie the way that we know how they'll do it mm -hmm. um obviously excluding the james wands and the lee Wanells who do a tremendous job but we finally this year the indies have taken over it, not only just the indie market but like they've also come into the mainstream mm -hmm. and they're the ones taking over theaters so i think that's why we hit that sweet spot because those creators who were 
doing everything to say like listen like pay attention to indie horror like there's so many great talented filmmakers out there who know horror real well they're the ones finally years later who have gotten the bump up yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah i, I was just gonna say the uh like this year in general for indie movies was a little uh waning just for other genres but i think that horror did such a great job of really upholding the the power of independent cinema um i just wish that maybe that could bleed into some some other genres because I, I i think that there's a lot to be looked at as far as why and how people are going out to the movie theater and i think mm -hmm. that horror continues to be a big contributor as to that audience experience there's a number of movies on here that were marketed as like you need to go see this in a theater and see it with a packed crowd and there was so many experiences that i had this year at the movie theater that i was just you know completely thrilled that i was able to have that opportunity to see it with a bunch of other genre fans yeah we we this year was also like navigating some like new territories as far as some of these uh new release strategies uh you know doing uh like simultaneous you know theater streaming releases or uh, seeing some of these films, like you said, that you were like, damn, I wish this would have went to theaters. Um, and, you know, horror is, you know, unfortunately kind of like a guinea pig in that angle that they're just like, oh, well, these are horror movies. We can try all these different things. But I think because of, you know, the the community, you know, the the passion that, you know, the horror community has for the films is still pushing these films past like those limitations, even like, you know, when it comes to something like Prey that, you know, once the word got around that, hey, there's a new Predator movie, you know, people were like it, it that was like a, a that one had like a slow burn. It was like at first, like, of course, we all knew about it. But then I remember like a month later, finally, I had like even just like people at the bar going, hey, do you know there's a new Predator movie? And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, OK, so, you know, so luckily the community is being able to like kind of push past those limitations. But uh, uh, we got uh, we got a lot of movies to discuss here and I'm super excited for it. And um, before we get into uh, the list, um, I want to uh, we'll, I want to do our best scene first because I feel like this will kind of set the table as to uh, you know some of the things that we were uh, enjoying from films this year. And uh, so we'll we'll go with best scene, and that could be a a kill, a monologue, a uh, a scare, an action set piece, just a, a best your best sequence. So uh, guest of honor, uh, Donato, uh, what is your favorite scene from the year? It's so funny because I actually didn't pick one before coming on here purposely because I had like three in my mind and I, I couldn't decide. So I just wanted to go off the cuff. So the one that is sticking out to me and the one that I really, you know, it's weird because this scene at first was from a movie that took me a while to come around on. Uh, I saw, are we doing spoiler here? Like what, yes. how much? Okay, we're doing fall in. Cool. Wait, wait, yes. So so guys, uh, tread lightly through through this episode because obviously this is a lot of new releases. But I feel like uh, with certain things, uh, you know, we'll we'll want to talk about certain spoilery things. So you know, go in knowing this that you might hear something. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to start out with the ending of Barbarian. <laughs> so we're just going to come out with the most spoilery part possible. So if you do not want to be spoiled on the ending of Barbarian, uh, fast forward or something like that. In any case, for me. I didn't love Barbarian the first time I saw it because I really needed to digest everything it was talking about and like the ways it was talking about it. And I don't know, like I had a knee jerk reaction at first, but the more I sat there and the more I thought about it, uh, it was basically a month between when I saw Barbarian and I wrote my review and coming out, I was like, uh, I have some problems. And finally, when I finished my review a month later, I was like, no, this is one of my favorite horror movies of the year. And it's because of that ending and because of 
talking about the mainstream and talking about how maybe horror was playing it safe for a while in the mainstream uh barbarian kind of just shatters that thought process of there is a formula to mainstream horror that goes to theaters and we will abide by it and we don't want to rock certain boats and we just want to put out a spooky haunted house story the ending of barbarian and the scene specifically where justin long's piece of shit character chucks georgina campbell's uh you know lead basically like the lead at that point um because there's some flip-flopping of characters that i won't get into that much in case you want to not be spoiled there but there comes a moment where they're being pursued by a monster the monster chases them up this kind of like silo tower they are very high up and justin long in a moment where he could reclaim everything that he has done wrong in his entire life continues to be the same piece of shit he's always been tosses georgina campbell off the, the rooftop to her death supposedly and he just watches and there's so much in that moment where Barbarian has already thrown a few jabs. It has already taken you on some twists. And you don't think it's going to do anything that shocking anymore because you've already been shocked a bunch. You're like, I, I, a horror movie that's in theaters won't do this. And that last final gut punch of watching her hurtling towards the freaking street, just like, spo spoiler alert, I know we've talked about this, but she doesn't die. There's more to it. But the moment of seeing that happen, the moment of seeing Justin Long's character continue to like just be the person we think he is. And it's a total like nice guy culture commentary that works very well in the respect of the film. Uh, yeah, I, I still haven't stopped thinking about that sequence. Yeah, I think that's uh, the, the final uh, moment where because throughout that movie, there's a lot of you thought, huh, like moments throughout. And I feel like that's like the final one of like for for just a moment you're like is he gonna redeem himself like is he gonna turn it around and then like no of course not you're like you thought huh like so uh the, the great pick there what about you garrett well I, there's gonna be lots of barbarian love uh from me in this discussion so i will i will sidebar that <laughs> i'm pulling an audible here mr devon uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about barbarian a lot which probably does have my favorite sequence, but I'll just transition for variety's sake. There was a movie that came out this year that I think leaving it left me the most affected, like just psychologically and emotionally, I was just kind of like leveled leaving it. And that's like the ending to speak no evil. Um, mm -hmm. If you've seen the film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is, you know, talk about this kind of, you thought, huh? Like that kind of attitude with Barbarian. It really is this driving towards the end of a cliff, uh, you know, no pun intended, I guess, and then just continuing and not stopping. And then like the horror is knowing that this is com uh, coming and our protagonists aren't doing anything about it. Uh, and just wanting to shake the screen and be like, do something, do anything. And then seeing this worst fear of theirs and also the audience realized on screen, it's so affecting. It's so grisly. Uh, it's so it's so dark and surprising that it was one of those things to where, like, you think you know where the movie is headed, just like Barbarian as well. And then it just can, takes this, you know, handbrake turn and just kind of leaves you just like, shit you know I, I i went and saw this at the movie theater it was only going to be in theaters for a couple more days and i went and it was an empty theater it was me and one other guy <laughs> and we both we both hit up the urinal after the movie was over and he just looks at me and he goes huh that was something wasn't it and he was like an older guy and i was like yeah that was certainly was something so this is for for the guy at the urinal uh the ending to speak no evil i think was 
Um, although maybe not my favorite sequence of the year, I think was certainly the most uh, affecting and, you know, truly in the truest sense of the words, horrific. That movie infuriated me, <laughs> like to <laughs> good know. and bad degrees, and like, it, like I mean, it did it did its purpose, like it elicits the the reactions you want, but like, God, that fucking movie, jeez. <laughs> me, me and Garrett have talked off air about that movie, uh, quite a bit, but uh, uh, yeah, great, great sequence. Um, so for mine, um, I went with because uh, I had a few different ones as well, and I went with one from a movie I don't think is gonna end up on the list. Uh, so I wanted to make sure it got a a little extra love, and uh, this is um the the scene in Bodies Bodies Bodies, where uh, this is the scene in like uh, I guess it's like in the 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 gym in the house where um where they find Greg sleeping, and mm-hmm. uh, this is the the death of Greg again spoilers um I had to shout this scene for a couple reasons one uh, I give out an annual award every year on Twitter for uh, my favorite horror good boy. Um, because you know, men just tend to suck in horror movies. Uh, but you know, every once in a while we get just that really pure soul and that's Greg this year. Uh, you know, <laughs> he is, uh, the red herring to a degree. Um, but this scene, uh, buys, buys, buys is so much better on a rewatch. Like there's so many little things, uh, that I just absolutely love. And this, this is the scene where the subgenre is like kind of announced to you because going in, a lot of people thought this was gonna be like a, a pseudo slasher of sorts. Um, but this is where it's like, okay, no, this is about, this is a whodunit about a bunch of really dumb kids, you know, and like you see with the, the assumptions that they lead to Greg when they find him, uh, just like, you know, meditating after he's uh, removed himself from the situation he didn't like. And then, uh, you know, they're going through his bag and then uh, he, he eventually ends up getting killed um, and they, they, he has all these supplies and uh, they think it's because the, the joke is uh, he's a vet. Um, so they think he's like, uh, oh, he's a veteran. He's got PTSD. He's the one killing people. Uh, but when it's like, no, he, he's a vet as in a veterinarian. He just had that stuff because he likes to be prepared. And he <laughs> wanted to have a good hike in the woods. And so it's like this scene is just like where everything unfolds that, of like what the movie truly is. And then going forward, it's like a whole different experience than like what you were getting in that first half. So I feel like that's a just a, a great turn for the movie. Yeah, it's also like a perfect encapsulation of the entire kind of thesis of the movie, too. Yeah. You yeah. have these paranoid people who are absolutely terrified, pointing at the smallest little things that they can and pinning it on someone and saying, you're a murderer now, not just that you're a murderer, but we're going to kill you to protect ourselves. You know, that's kind of the, the appeal of, of bodies, bodies, bodies is just seeing these people just go absolutely lose their minds, you know, trying to figure out who this person is. Talk about like a, a kind of a wild time at the theater and, and a, a, another great like audience kind of uh, experience. Yeah. I, I, again, like uh, it, it's, it's a fun one. That's a, that's been a fun movie to show friends. Uh, I feel like that's a good like hangout party movie, um, it, which is on par with the themes in it. Uh, love that one. So, um, and, and I'm sure we're gonna shout out some more of our favorite scenes as we uh, talk about some of our favorite films. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into this list. All right, y'all. So this is how we're doing this. This is a 
a uh, a collective list amongst the three of us um in, in the typical in the past two two uh years of doing this we uh kind of just did like each individual list uh so we're we're trying to collectively collaborate on this list uh, if you guys listen to screen drafts kind of a similar format ish uh if you if you are listening to this billy ray tell clay to get me on that damn show already because now i'm showing him love love screen drafts but uh how the list is going to work is um we're doing a top 10 list and i had donato and garrett send me uh their top 20 from the year and i took all three of our top 20s and gave uh the 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 movie's points and uh we took the uh the the overlapping films that had the most points and those are going to be our top 4 those are already set uh only i know these well they know the movies but they don't know the order um and um so so those are set already which uh leaves us with six slots remaining so each of us will also get to add two of our own personal favorites uh rounding out our top 10 we're also going to talk about some of our favorite uh performances in there as well um but donato are you ready to kick this thing off at pick number 10 i think so sure why not? <laughs> all right so what do you what do you got so I'm going to start with uh, Joko Anwar's Satan Slaves 2 Communion. And I I, I am using Shudder first to start. Uh, I, I think they have done a great job just to kind of, you know, put them in the, the spotlight for a minute with just continually cranking out movies. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but they have so many options. And what they've done for like international cinema or sorry, like international horror cinema and independent horror cinema and just making sure that it lives somewhere is such a big deal. And I look to the career of Joko Anwar because Satan Slaves is one of the scariest movies I've seen since it released a few years ago. You know, I think we're talking 2017 and that was right to shutter. Uh, they bring him back for Impedagore. So he does another movie for them. Ooh, it's and cool. like, okay. yeah. And then so Satan Slaves 2 Communion is the sequel to Satan Slaves. And it released, uh, you know, locally first overseas, and it did tremendous numbers again, like Anwar is such a good um, local filmmaker and such a huge talent. And like, it's such a shame that we don't get to see his movies in IMAX, how they're intended. And, you know, they are just on Shudder. But again, Shudder is the one putting that and making sure that we see them. So the best way to go about it is it is a continuation of paranormal bad vibes. And a family has now fled to a North Jakardin apartment complex. So it was Satan Slaves is more country horror. This is apartment-based horror. And all you get are just some really good spooks. Like, I, you know, the way I keep talking about Joko Anwar is I think there's few filmmakers in today's horror sphere that have been able to match James Wan and not just copy him. And you can always tell when, like, someone just wants to do what James Wan does to be successful. Mm -hmm. But Anwar is one of those filmmakers that genuinely is on uh, James Wan's level. And you can see it throughout Satan Slaves too, just in the way that scares are established, in the way that he's not really afraid to, uh, there's a great elevator scene with children, and maybe a dropping elevator, and maybe lots of blood. Um, but it also does emotional beats well, like you care about the characters who are running away from a possible cult chasing them, or the you know, spirits that are inhabiting this apartment complex now. And even just down to the simplest scare where a child with a match walks into a room where there are two dead bodies and he just has to get across the room, close a window and get out. But of course the match goes out, he lights another one, match goes out, lights another one. 
you're waiting for the body to move. You're waiting for it to tilt its head or something. You know what's coming. But Anwar is so in command of his scares and they're never cheap. And the way that he goes about these scares are so like just well-crafted that, yeah, you do get the body to move, but it still freaks you the hell out. So I, I got to start with uh, my boy Joko as Satan Slaves 2. If you haven't seen the first, please watch the first and then immediately watch the second. All right, first international movie on the list, first movie to be put on the list. Uh, Garrett, did you see this one? I haven't seen it or its predecessor, but uh, after Matt's uh, praise of the films, I will be uh, quickly watching both of them as soon as I finish rounding out this year's <laughs> list, too. Uh, but yeah, those sound terrific. I-, I can't wait to check those out. I'm right there with you. I have not seen either one. Um, I'll I'll uh, throw out some numbers as we kind of go throughout. Uh, between the two your two's lists, I only had three movies on Donato's I hadn't seen, and only three on Garrett's I hadn't seen. But that was one of them uh, that I did not see. I have not seen the first one, but I didn't know it was uh, the director of Impedagor, which I did enjoy that one. So uh, definitely gonna go check that out. Garrett, you are up at pick number nine. Uh, uh, pick number nine is a, a new inclusion into the genre of horror that Devon and I have become increasingly more uh, kind of fond of in recent years. And it's this kind of idea of this social cringe horror. Uh, and that is with Andrew Gaynord's All My Friends Hate Me. Um, it's about this guy who hasn't hung out with his friends in years and then comes back from kind of this like retreat sort of you know working with uh you know kids in other countries and things like that he he comes back home to celebrate his birthday with these friends and he just has this crippling suspicion that all of his friends not only hate him but also maybe are trying to like sabotage him or harm him and i think it's this really great portrait of like this crippling anxiety that people have that like nobody hate nobody likes you everybody hates you is constantly watching your every move and just picking you apart uh, but then also that you're also like the center of attention in a weird way, uh, that you're also not the center of attention. It's this weird kind of push and pull that I think social anxiety can kind of do to people. And I think that uh, this film is not only wrought with tension, uh, it plays with a lot of genre tropes in a fun way to kind of offer these red herrings, uh, but it also is really funny too. Um, it, it really does kind of capture this insecurity uh, with such a specific tone that I think is really perfect for the story. So uh, for me, it's All My Friends Hate Me, rounding out our uh, number nine. All right, Donato, you were on for a social cringe horror episode when we talked Shiva Baby. Uh, how'd you feel about this one? I actually did not see this. This wasn't on my radar, so I now have I my... Yeah. I there fucking got him, guys. You got Let's me go. the first one. <laughs> Softball right for you. Hell thank yeah. you, thank you. Wow. I think this would uh, definitely be up your alley, uh, Matt, because uh, I, I watched this one because I, uh, I stalked Garrett's letterbox and, uh, and see what he's up to. And I was like, oh, okay. That was like social cringe horror. Let me have at it. And uh, I very much enjoyed this one. Um, it barely made it. I think it was in my top 20, um, but it was uh, kind of down towards the bottom. Um, or no, it it just it was just outside my top twenty. But uh, yeah, uh, very much enjoyed because um, it it tapped into yeah a fear and anxiety that you know I have that like the even the aspect of like you said like you know nobody likes me but like the the specific aspect of it being people that are your friends like these are your mm-hmm. friends and people that care about you but there's still something in your mind that is like trying to convince you otherwise. And that um, and that very specific fear is portrayed very well in this. Uh, I really like the mystery angle to it. 
um you know on like okay like what's his secret like who who is fucking harry like who is this guy um and man i mean as a as a bartender i've seen so many harrys in my life like i know that guy <laughs> i know five of those guys like that i could that i'm gonna probably see later on tonight <laughs> um so so yeah uh, uh i was i was a fan of that one i think the only thing with that one and i've seen with uh, at least for me with some of these social cringe wars wanted it to be just a little darker just a little darker sure. yeah. yeah it's definitely I, a push and play in this especially because the movie isn't as like it's almost a little bit of the point right that like he's imagining these super fucked up things that are happening that you don't necessarily get that release you know he's not like waking up and there's like a you know a dead animal in his bed or something like that it's just this kind of these small things, you know, things said, a glance or whatever, people whispering, stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely maybe not as macabre. I could totally see that for sure. Yeah. So for me at number eight, um, I was grappling with uh, what my two individual picks were going to be because I had the least amount of um, uh, as far as uh, the, the crossover into the top four, but then also even where I had them compared to you guys. Um, so I'm like, okay, so like, I know I gotta be very strategic. Which movies do I want to talk about? And, uh, so one, uh, was one that was put on my radar over the summer. Um, shout to Mary Beth McAndrews. I talked about it on, um, Scarred for Life. And, um, and I finally got to it like a week or so ago. And this is, uh, You Won't Be Alone, uh, directed by Goran Stolevsky. Um, this is, um, been, you know, people, the, if you go on Letterboxd, almost every review compares it to a Terrence Malick movie. And I mean, it kind of has that, but it's a lot more cohesive than a Terrence Malick movie is. Um, uh, but basically it's, uh, about this, uh, young girl who is, uh, hidden away for like 16 years, uh, to avoid a witch, uh, that has, uh, put a curse on her. And then, uh, eventually, uh, when she is released into the world, uh, she is turned into a witch and then kind of left to fend for herself. Uh, she's mute. And uh, the way that they depict the witches in this film is they can take the form of other people. So she basically gets the whole human experience by um, uh, taking on the forms of various people in this village. Um, and I just found it just so moving, so breathtaking. It's a gorgeous film. Uh, I'm a slut for some sidebars. It has a, you know, narrow aspect ratio. And it is just like, it, it's very, it's a very quiet film. Uh, it has really great sound design. But um, the the fact that there's essentially five or six different actors playing one character um, is a very tough thing to coordinate. And I think they pull it off very well, um, especially it's like between various ages and then even various genders. And there's a there's a, 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 a some very interesting gender themes being explored throughout the film about um, her basically trying to figure out what the what it means to be a woman, but also what is a woman's role in society. Um, it's a uh, very good. I uh, just it's one of the most gorgeous films I've seen this year, and uh, it is it, it was uh, just nice and soothing, like a warm blanket. Uh, <laughs> have either of you guys seen You Won't Be Alone? Yeah, it, it came in the middle for me. Uh, those Malikian kind of comparisons, uh, as you said, like you, you can see why they're there. And those comparison points are harder for me because I'm not really always taken away by Terrence Malick. So the tiny connections that are there in the film are also the parts that I'm kind of like, 
meh on uh good like you said good performances cinematography great but i think about movies like a banquet that do the kind of same thing where they are these visual sumptuous films but uh i don't know they ultimately kind of leave me wanting a little more from it you know you can do quiet for so long you can do the slow slow build and the payoff later but for my sensibilities and my taste in horror i do need a little more so while i can appreciate it it doesn't really it doesn't break my top it is slow but you definitely get some uh gruesome gore though like it doesn't doesn't skimp on the gore i'll say that yeah uh, i know the terrence malick is obviously hit and miss for a lot of people like matt had already uh, alluded to for myself haven't seen it it was actually uh one of those movies that i was hoping to uh catch up on on my way home so Uh, Although I haven't seen it for uh, this episode, I'm uh, hoping to get uh, a viewing of it pretty soon and get my thoughts out about there, get my thoughts out there about this one, because I've I've heard a lot of really great stuff about it, not just from you, Devon. So uh, I'm excited to give that one a watch. Yes, I I highly recommend it. I've been recommending it to people like crazy this past week. And uh, and then I've been doing the thing. It's it's one of those films that's like got me excited to where I send it to people I know their taste. So I send it to them, and then like a few hours later, I go back on their letterbox. I'm like, hmm, hmm, and uh, get very excited about it. So, um, uh, I I pitched this to uh, uh Molly Henry for I go I go hey I go this is uterus horror and uh which is published on Donato's page. So so maybe we'll hear some words about that. We'll see. Um, uh, but that is the the first round of uh our individual picks. So we got Satan Slaves Two Communion at number ten. All My Friends Hate Me at number nine, and You Won't Be Alone at number eight. So, before we get into some more picks, uh, let's get into um, our favorite performances from the year. Uh, we did do a uh, favorite female performance, favorite male performance, and if your favorite performance is a non-binary person, pick either one to replace it with. So, um, uh, let's go ahead and do, um, for, for our guys, because uh, women are uh, way more important, so... They got the second song. Um, so male performances, let's get those stupid men out the way. Uh, Garrett, uh, what is your favorite male performance of the year? Uh, to me, my favorite male performance is really a question of who was my favorite performance in Nope. Uh, there's several <laughs> awesome performances in this movie, uh, but I went with uh, Brandon Perea. Uh, who I think is yeah. he's one of the actors that comes along and then you see the performance like this in this movie and you're like, wait a minute, who is that guy? Like, wh- what has he been in and what is he uh, you know, starring in in the future? He's done a lot of television up to this point, but I found him to just be so magnetic. And in a movie with a myriad of excellent performances, Daniel Kaluuya, Stephen Ewan, Kiki Palmer as well, I felt like he not just, you know, you know, kept uh, pace with them, but really stood tall as well. So I think he has so much charisma, so much heart, and really, uh, I think is kind of like the glue that makes this movie just so, so captivating, so thrilling. I know that we're going to be watching or uh, discussing Nope later on in this episode, no doubt, but uh, I thought he was definitely one of the highlights of this year and just one that I'm hoping get some more recognition uh, as well as seeing uh, his face pop up and some other stuff because I thought he was really terrific in this. He was uh, my runner-up for Good Boy of the Year. Uh, shout out to Angel, like he another just uh, just straight up good boy. Um, yeah. uh, Matt, who do you have for your favorite male performance of the year? Yeah, so I I, I adore the menu, <laughs> so I am gonna stick with Ray Fiennes uh, as Julian Slowick, the celebrity chef of the Hawthorne. 
and the way that he is able to play both a psychopath but also a very distraught creator like I, the themes in the menu are so hard to kind of convey in a way that is not over the top but at the same time is exaggerated like it is the entire concept of the relationship between art artist and consumer and the toxicity that exists there so the performance that had to come out as julian uh had to command us it had to make us understand that this is a far-fetched scenario but you also had to sympathize with this chef who is you know trying to rekindle their passion but has also given up there is so much depth that performance and also just the way that is portrayed with such like command every time he comes on screen and does the clap and everyone has to listen to him like even if you're watching at home you kind of like you hear the clap and you kind of stiffen up in your seat and you're like oh i'm, I'm paying attention now so just I, I mean just a a a plus meaty everything to bite into performance yeah not only does he really have that presence and you know really can command a room like you were saying uh but it's also really fucking funny like he is hilarious in this movie mm -hmm. there's so many great lines from him i think the menu and uh that's also another movie that i really like too so i think we're definitely going to be talking about that one a lot but uh it is probably one of the funniest movies that i've seen this year and a big part of that is because of ray finds his timing and delivery and this is uh no pun intended but chef's kiss the uh like the runner-up for my favorite scene is the conversation between julian and john leguizamo's uh actor character who you know yeah. it was my day off died absolutely died <laughs> Man, uh that was gonna be my pick for favorite performance as well so i went ahead and made an audible and uh, we're definitely gonna talk about the menu uh a lot more uh later in the list but yeah, his performance is just like he's he's the anti-hero of the year for me because um, I've seen people, you know, like because, yes, he is psycho, but he also like the, the uh, his performance is just so there, there's just so many layers going on. And like he is one of those performers that um, he my favorite uh, detail through his performance is like he always has his eyes are always slightly glossy. Like, he looks on the verge of crying almost the entire movie, and he just, like, holds it so well, and, like, you know, and he knows when to release uh, just a little more emotion here, but he, like, keeps it and keeps it, in, and um, and you and you do really just feel that, the, the, the passion and frustration that he has, um, but, uh, but also, like Garrett said, just fucking hilarious. Like, some of his lines, uh, it was, how a bit, you donkey? Is, <laughs> oh my god like i was dying at that scene so yeah uh, shout out ray fines so um my my next pick is um a, a performance that um you know the you know ray fines very very uh well-versed actor uh but this is an actor who i hadn't really heard of hadn't seen him in too many things and uh that is uh zach villa in hypochondriac like i mean this uh this movie is so many emotions um, and it, you know, it really does hinge on his performance, um, in doing, in portraying something very delicate, you know, when it's kind of, you know, where movies are very eager to explore mental illness, but we are still uh, at a point where it's hard to, uh, you know, get the proper nuances of it. And I think the writing of, uh, his character will and, uh, and his performance, uh, really, brought that home in just such a real way like will just felt like such a, a real person from like the second that we meet him 
um, and like, you know, just trying to be a gay man in a, in a new relationship at a job. And he's just like, he's just trying to live, you know? And, uh, when, uh, this fear of, uh, uh, his mother's mental illness, you know, kind of passing on to him and these experiences that he starts having, uh, I mean, you're just with him the whole time. I mean, uh, some of his, uh, emotional breakdown scenes in this are just, I mean, absolutely devastating, and uh, like it, it, this was a, a perform a movie that I you know definitely cried uh, a good bit afterwards because I mean especially that end scene you know is just it's so just ooh it's so good like so if you guys haven't seen Hypochondriac please go check that one out yeah, yeah Hypochondriac not, oh go ahead Matt I was gonna I was gonna say not enough people are talking about Hypochondriac and I understand why it's one of those VODs that just gets uh, under the radar not a lot of people talk about it so it just kind of sits on sits on demand uh, platforms until you find it and when it hits streaming but i believe it might be on tubi number one so right there if you want to go watch hypochondriac go find it on tubi uh number two it's everything that devon just said i i adore this movie it was one of my favorite horror movies of the year and uh, i had the privilege of seeing it at south by and i was like i can't wait to see what that filmmaker does next yeah hypochondriac was uh, a bit middle of the road for me but you had just mentioned that it was on tubi which reminded me like devon you were saying that like the movie is very emotional there's lots of emotional highs and emotional lows for these characters and tubi being like an ad you know <laughs> commercial streaming service that was really funny like watching the movie this character's having an emotional breakdown and then there's like an activia commercial or some shit like that was that was uh really breaking up the pace there but yeah uh excellent performance movie uh was uh not necessarily a slam dunk for me but definitely a good pick there from you devon it is um one of my favorite letterbox reviews from you though um as carrot wrote <laughs> donnie darko but if frank ate ass <laughs> which i thank love thank you uh, thank you thank on. you i appreciate it hold on one second the mid mid episode uh dog check-in oh it's i'm not there to to corral the dog <laughs> if somebody has to do it no he's usually like firmly on my lap you know just, so <laughs> just he's <laughs> yeah um devon if you would allow me i i have i do want to give a brief shout out though and i think the role maybe has the potential of eclipsing the actor in this case but i just wanted to shout out david howard thornton uh, as art mm -hmm. the clown it's no mere feat to like make a horror icon i think art the clown in the first terrifier if he didn't solidify himself as like being this new villain in maybe not the same league but cer certainly headed towards the same league as like a freddie or a jason or a michael i think terrifier 2 definitely solidified him so i want to i want to shout out his performance as art the clown because i think that although he doesn't really have any lines as the character i think his physicality he brings a lot to the performance too oh 100 like i mean even people that didn't like the first one the one thing that everybody said was like you know his performance is great art the clown's amazing and then the second one really like i mean he is putting on a full-on performance like i really it, it's like uh one of those funny things where it's like he's like doing stuff and you're just like yeah i know exactly what you're saying man and the fact yeah. that you can get that through art the clown um in his performance like yeah so definitely worthy of a shout out it is funny to watch uh if, if you haven't seen the mean one he plays the slasher grinch as well 
Yes. And uh, oh. it's funny funny to see him basically do Art the Clown, but just as the Grinch. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been really wanting to see that. I know that we had a brief stint at some theaters in Los Angeles and wasn't able to catch it. For don't season, worry so. about it. He's like, hey, don't prioritize don't, it, man. <laughs> don't prioritize it. We had an influx of Christmas horror this year, and I remember I was like, you know what? I'm only going to choose one of these. There's too many, and I got other movies to watch. So I was like, I, I get one. So I, cho- I went with Yule Log for my christmas horror this year interesting choice of all the ones to take but not the worst by any means i, I promise you <laughs> well donato you are up on next on the list uh for your pick at number seven what are you what are you throwing in there it's so funny can i cheat can i ask if Absolutely. any of you are gonna are you gonna pick this one because here's the thing like <laughs> we have so many spots i i always want to shout out the lesser knowns and the indies and stuff like that but it like if we're not getting if neither of you are going to get to the black phone i would like to do that now um i will certainly not uh i know some friends of the show were involved in the movie so Got I, will it. Be, I will be polite uh wasn't for me <laughs> wasn't for me <laughs> yes yeah, so you go I- ahead and play the black phone here because i will not be playing it later all right, I am going to plug Black Phone then because it was one of my uh, favorite horror movies of the year. I just think it does a really good job of balancing the emotional storytelling of what we are getting first in that it is a link. Like, it feels very link letter. They are just going to an earlier time period, kids being kids. Uh, there is a home life that is a little hard to deal with, and it just sets up this situation for the characters to carry forward and be more than just another kidnapping scenario. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's great work done with the masks here and the way that they play around with the smile and the frown. I think there's great villain performances. I think there's great um, kid performances. Like, a lot of things are hard to do in horror, and I think the Black Phone does a lot of them well because, at least in my opinion, I, I cared about everyone that was in danger. I, I dare say there is a tiny bit of sympathy you garner for the grabber in these, like, flashback sequences, but again, that is completely taken away because he is a vile monster. Um, I, I am involved in this, you know, it, I, I don't want to call it a single location thriller because obviously it does things outside the basement, but I think it does a great job of portraying the basement as this massive open space when it needs to be explored, but then also this like claustrophobic confining space when we really want to feel like there is an imprisonment happening. I don't know. I think there's a lot of attention to detail here, and I, I really dug the Black Phone and all of its it's pulling from a lot of genres and i think it does come together well at the end where i I know other people disagree with that so like i I know there are varying opinions on the black phone but i am definitely on the higher end there i i was a bit i was hard on it when it first came out only because i'm such a big derrickson fan like uh you know three of his films are like some of my favorites and so i i think it was just the expectations got me but then once i uh kind of went back and watched like some clips of it later on and read some more stuff like i appreciate what it's doing um you know it's doing a similar thing but with some slight tweaks to it you know um you know changing the the time time era up a little bit um and then also like kind of the way that the the supernatural is incorporated uh, i really liked what it was doing i just felt like the middle got a little repetitive with uh with uh the the ghost calls but besides that though like i really enjoy a lot of the stuff going on the performances are top notch like you know, it's crazy that this was Ethan Hawke's first true villain role, and uh, I'm glad that he did it. I hope he does more. Uh, he seemed to have a lot of fun doing it, And uh, but man, shout out to Madeline McGraw. That girl is a fucking star, 
And uh, and I'm glad that this is on the list too because this was a great year for sibling horror too. And uh, the these two uh, siblings together, uh, Finney and Gwen, are just absolutely fantastic. So so uh, glad to have uh, the the sibling horror representation here. Yeah, the black phone for me uh, just didn't really hit. Uh, I, I found the experience to be quite frustrating uh, for multiple reasons. And uh, unlike you, Devon, the more I thought about it, the more I disliked it. Uh, it is actually pretty low down the my, my horror listing overall. So, Matt, you're right to play it because uh, this doesn't even make my top 20 or maybe even 25. I'd have to look at the list, uh, but this was was uh, definitely not my, my favorite. But respect to you for putting it. I'm glad that Universal supported this film, uh, but it was also a, a hell of a haunted house at Halloween Horror Nights. It was a lot of fun to see the grabber there. So props to that. Oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't get to hit that one. So, um, but yeah, um, it, it didn't make my top 20 either. But I know it was a, a fan favorite, though. It was a, and it was a, it also one of the ones that like, you know, did pretty modestly at the at the theater, which was nice that, you know, people were going out to see uh, this film. So uh, shout out to uh, Scott Derrickson. Shout out to a friend of the show, Maggie Levin, of course, as well. Um, Garrett, you are up at number six. Yeah, so for me, the my number six spot uh, is a movie that's already been discussed on this episode. I know Devon didn't like it, so this is more of a strategic pick for me. I don't know if Matt <laughs> thought of it, uh, but I am adding Speak No Evil, uh, the Danish oh. film from Christian Taftrup. Um, this is a movie, like I said, uh, about this Dutch family who goes and visits this uh, this other family on sort of like a holiday vacation trip, uh, and things start to go to this like madness inducing sort of spiral of you know politeness and how that is so damaging to the film and or to the to the family i i know that the film is quite controversial among those who have seen it i think uh, i saw so many people just be so mad at this movie of just like how dare you i think the film is an intentional sort of pulling out the rug from under you and not just that but then like also kicking you while you fell down you know um but i think that that is precisely the point i am prepared to have a full-length discussion on this movie at any point uh although i understand people's frustration i think the frustration is what you're supposed to feel this isn't supposed to be like a arousing inspiring movie it's supposed to leave you kind of down and defeated like i'd already mentioned the ending of the film alone is just so chilling and so dark and so haunting uh which kind of i think can contribute to maybe some of the anger and the frustration that people have looking at you devon uh but i think i would be uh, a little disappointed if this didn't end up in our top 10 list somewhere so i'm adding speak no evil so here i'll i'll say my piece since i'm sure uh, matt will have nicer words for it and here's the thing i okay i dug the movie and i'm not saying it's not effective in what it's supposed to do my thing is it just takes i think it just takes that it just goes too far like that like there's a believability for me of at what point do you and like yes that is the thesis like what at what point do you stop this like what time at what point does the social politeness go away but i there's there is just moments where it just got beyond belief for me like once the the, the your kid is in someone else's bed and then you drive back to go stay with them again i can't like that you know i don't even have kids but yet i don't believe that so it's like for me it stretches that that premise a little too thinly for me 
And then so when that end scene in the van happens, I was just like, well, you know what? Y'all deserve to get got now. Like, whatever. I don't, I don't care. So uh, it, it was a fun experience and that, like, you know, because I love to feel things when I watch movies. And this made me feel things. So, I mean, it, even if it, it's a, it was a three star for me. So it's not yeah. that I dislike it. It is higher on my list. It is definitely in my top 20, uh, just on that border of like top 10 to, you know, the bottom or top uh, 10 of my top 20. So I, I love a feel bad horror movie uh, and I haven't felt as bad watching this brilliant little just it just ruins you. And I love that. And I haven't felt that since like Hounds of Love or Killing Ground or like Coming Home in the Dark. It, every once in a while, it's good to re be reminded that just you don't need to create monsters for horror movies like humanity exists you, you don't need to dig any deeper than that and I, maybe it does get a little far-fetched here speak no evil when I, that scene in particular devon like that was one of my points of like okay why are we going back to the house at this point but the pleasantry is also a thing of like i just went home for the holidays and you know my parents will be nice 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 to these terrible people over and over again and i kind of look at like i after watching movies like this i'm like Oh, I actually know the people who would continue to make this wrong decision just to keep up the facade of politeness. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, no, this all tracks. This makes sense. So <laughs> while it might be far-fetched, I think there is something to, not that I want to feel bad per se, but in a movie to be reminded that uh, there is not always, you know, the Hollywood ending to quote and the apocalypse there. And it's, again, a good reminder to be like, always keep your guard up. Subtlety yeah. isn't necessary sometimes. Yeah, I mean, this movie definitely had people riled up, and for and for good reason. Uh, but yeah, um, before we get into the top five, let's talk about women, because obviously, women run horror. Uh, it, this was so much harder for me to pick a performance because, like, as I look at like my top twenty movies from the year, like all of them just have such you know so many strong performances. So, Garrett, who is your favorite female performance of the year? So there's like three that I want to pick. Uh, so it's really Sophie's choice here. Uh, but the the performance that I'm I'm nominated as my favorite performance was somebody who I just felt like owned horror this year, uh, and that is Mia Goth. Uh, she was just a straight up icon. Uh, was a Halloween favorite as well. I saw so many people dressed up as as uh, Miss Pearl this year. Uh, as as much as I like her performance in X, I think Pearl was just so impressive and just was one of those things where I saw the film and I was like, oh my God, people are going to be raving over this thing. And rightfully so. Uh, that ending shot, uh, the, the credits rolling and her just having this, you know, permanent, you know, smile taped to her face was just so chilling and yeah, just disturbing. I think she just does such a great job of this like, you know, uh, a Dorothy Lisa Bonnet sort of like, you know, concoction Brendelfly thing. And it's just, it's so, so good. Like this movie just being this sort of like Technicolor again, sort of Wizard of Oz-esque kind of, you know, 50s dreamscape. I think she just lives in that so well, uh, but is like so charming, so horrifying. Uh, and is, yeah, this movie is like a couple musical numbers away from just like being completely my shit. Uh, but I think Mia Goth is just so spectacular in this movie i mean there's been no shortage of love for mia goth this year and uh and rightfully so like i mean uh pearl uh i didn't like as much as a movie but her performance though is just i mean it's undeniable like she's doing such great work with a character that she got to help craft with ty west 
uh, which always kind of makes it a little bit more special. So uh, love that for me, I got this year. Yeah, uh, same thing. I, same as you, Devon. I, I loved the performance of uh, Mia Goth as Pearl more than her performance in X, but I was a little more uh, on the on, on the fan of the uh, X there. So like, it, it, both are so good for different reasons. Uh, and also, I, I think you know, like Mia Goth had almost as good a year as uh, Jenna Ortega and horror because I do think Jenna Ortega stole the just ran away with the crown for horror performances this year had being in so many tremendous films but mia goth is right there like nipping at the heels oh yeah yeah Definitely. yeah jenna ortega uh, jenna ortega was also in my other spot and if it wasn't for wednesday you know i i think that yeah this was was absolutely her year for sure wednesday being a tv series can't include that but yeah uh, just like two yeah it was uh those, those two performances are just like queen shit right there just so so great and what about you donato who do you got so uh i i do want to shout out ortega just very briefly because while she did crush horror i think one genre adjacent film that no one again is talking about is the fallout which is on hbo max and it's one mm -hmm. of my favorite it's my favorite movie of the year i think something you'll never oh, be able wow. to watch again but like her performance in the fallout i think is better than her horror stuff but i do want to give my spot to amber midthunder uh from prey because she had so much she had so much betting against her, in, you know, before the movie even came out with all these fucking trolls online already just yelling about, oh, how, how can a lady beat a predator? This is dumb. This isn't <laughs> believable. And like, it didn't phase her in the least. Like, like she went into that role, commands it the entire way through and just makes all of those comments look so stupid uh, because they are. They are very stupid comments no matter what. But just the way that she the way that she just busted into the predator franchise and is just immediately an iconic hero and didn't let a single comment phase her in the least in the way that she answered interview questions like anything like all the all the respect for amber mid that she gets my spot oh man i mean yeah talk about a just powerful performance like she did just like come in with this like confidence and this presence and and like i don't know like something about her like kicking off trees like does something to me like uh, but her, but her, uh, her journey, like, you know, is, it's just so funny that, yeah, the whole troll situation thing, because like, that's like the epitome of the Predator franchise. It's unlikely people supposed to, you know, be beating them, but then we kind of get away from that, you know? So it's like, this is the true underdog, you know, um, going up against a Predator, which I feel like is just like kind of epitomizes, you know, the themes even more than the original does when it's like, you know, subverting the the hunkheads that are, you know, uh, meeting their match. Um, so, yeah, love uh, Amber Mid-Thunder. Also, shout to Sari, of course, um, the uh, uh, the uh, dog performer, which I found weird. Coco in the movie is a boy, but Sari is a female dog. Why did they do that? Very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> we love the range, Devon. We love range. We do. We do love range. Um, yeah, so... For my favorite female performance, um, I mean, there were there were of course so many great ones, but for me, I think is uh, if if there's anyone that was talked about um, for their performances other than Mia Goth or Jenna Ortega, uh, I think it was Rebecca Hall for Resurrection. Um, man, between this, The Night House, uh, The Prestige, Christine, nobody fucking just like goes through shit like Rebecca Hall does, and like the way that her performance is like just she lets you in immediately so that way you are just really able to like uh 
you know, go through this experience with her. And again, this is another movie that like her performance is way stronger, I think, than the movie itself. But like she elevates it so much in that way. Like, I mean, she's bringing physicality. I mean, she cries her ass off. She screams her ass off. I mean, and just like the, 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 you know, slight, the, the, the emotional deterioration that she can show through her face is just like, I don't like, there's not many people that fucking do the things that Rebecca Hall does. Um, so between like her doing this and the night house back to back, it's just like, God damn girl. Like, so I would love for her to get some awards recognition at some point in her career. Uh, cause she's just phenomenal. Yeah, that was one of the the films that was part of my uh, catch up as well. So I haven't been able to in, in, enjoy that, and I've heard so much about her performance. So uh, I'm sure you're you're spot on. And yeah, just her work in other films, she just is completely dynamite every single time she shows up. Just so so terrific. I was gonna say, if Rebecca Hall is in a movie, we're going to be talking about that performance. That's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> like she is just so 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 good. So. Um, uh, yeah, definitely a shout out to her, uh, you know, full on screen queen. Cause she's, she's done enough genre pictures. She's a, she's a full on screen queen. We love her. All right. To get back into the list, we are going into the top five. Um, I have the number five pick, um, because I, I, the, uh, Garrett and Matt will be happier with the top four than me, even though I'm not, not to say I'm not happy with the top four, but they're going to be more happy. Um, but so for my number five, um it, again there was there's a movie that i man it kept moving back and forth uh between like you won't be alone it was at number 1 at one point but now i think i'm going back because i think i'm going to get a chance to talk about this movie at some point next year on the schedule so i'll leave it for honorable mentions it's tough because there's no way i'm leaving this list <laughs> without talking about orphan first kill there's just God no heaven. way. There's just no way I'm <laughs> not talking about Orphan First Kill on this list. Um because it is just one of those movies again like gives me the same emotions I felt whenever, you know, with Malignant. Like I'm just so glad that this movie exists. It shouldn't work, but it does and it is just truly embracing itself and I just I again like I I before the year I didn't even see the first Orphan so whenever I heard that there was a prequel coming out and then and I had already known the twist of the original one, I go, how the fuck are they going to do this? What is the how what is this movie even going to be? So then that's what got me to watch the first one, fell in love with it. I was like, Esther, icon, let's go. And then this movie, man, just I mean, from that opening scene, that was almost going to be my favorite scene. The the, the cold open of her escaping uh, the sanitarium. I'm just like. Esther is like a superhero for me. Like she just makes me so happy. Isabel Furman, um, her passion for the role uh, was, you know, what really fueled this movie even happening and being able to pull it off in the way that they do with, um, uh, with, uh, you know, perspective and POV and camera tricks and stuff. Uh, it's just really fun. This movie is so fun. It, you know, it lets you in on the, back in on the secret at the beginning and that's like okay so where's this going you think it's gonna be a rehash of uh orphan again then they're like psych nope we're good you know turn it on you uh william brent bell i think learned his lesson from like uh his uh when he did the boy and then the boy too i think he goes okay okay i learned i think i learned my lesson i know how to do this now and uh he just put such a fun 
uh, flavor and uh, fun and energy to this movie. I mean, and just everything about it. It just makes me so happy. I've watched it so many times this year already, um, and I love it. So, yeah, Orphan First Kill, number five. That's right. Absolutely hilarious. I'm wondering what other movies that are, like, I assume higher on your list are not going to make it into this list because of that pick. You really, I thought you were going to, there was uh, one film in particular that I knew you were really, really hot on, and I was expecting that. And then when you came mm-hmm. with Orphan First Kill, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're doing that. Yeah, not not my fave. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you love it. That was the, the gift that I gave to you this Christmas, the gift that keeps on giving, that is Damn Orphan right. First Kill. Uh, but yeah, not for me, not for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was a movie that perhaps I liked more, but I mean, if you guys were watching the video, if you see the grin on my face, just talking about Orphan First Kill, there's no movie that made me happier this year. So like it, it, it had to be here. Yeah. I, I, I liked Orphan First Kill. Do not get me wrong. And I, I for the reasons you've said it as well, I, I can't believe this prequel actually exists in a, in a manner that works um and and the perspective all the filmmaking techniques that like not de-aging Isabel Furman and just being able to shoot around her to make her look like Esther again even though it is years later after Orphan was filmed it, it all comes together rather well uh, I, I I struggle with Mr. Brent Bell's previous films as as you mentioned so he he does seem to have picked up some techniques and uh storytelling uh narrative devices there that that let him get through as a director but yeah, it's, it's mid, middle middle road for me. I think there's some, definitely some, you know, t- you talking about Speak No Evil and being left in the cold by some of the choices made there. Uh, love Julia Stiles getting to do her Dexter stuff again and just be oh, yeah. a stone cold horror villain. But uh, yeah, yeah, some 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 stuff in there just kind of had me going. All right, this is fun, but not much else. <laughs> oh man, yeah, uh, Esther, she's an icon. Uh, and I hope we get a third movie. I have a whole pitch. Get at me, Paramount. I'm ready. I'm ready. So, for the top four, these are the four films that we had overlapped. Um, and again, I put this just like through a point system and uh, ranked them that way. So, I already let the guys know what those four movies are, but they don't know what order um, that they are going in. So, for number four... The movie that we are talking about first is Shudder's Deadstream. Uh, Donato, you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I I was very... I love found footage, number one. Found footage is one of my favorite uh, subgenres. And it's, you know, this isn't really found footage because it's live streaming. So it's more screen life, blah, 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 if you want to have that conversation. But for me, it all falls into the same first person uh, perspective filming and there there are a lot of ways those movies can go wrong, and especially if you're talking about a movie based on a disgraced YouTuber who is just going to be the worst stereotype of YouTuber culture. Um, it has all the makings for an obnoxious watch that shouldn't work. And yet, here we are talking about Deadstream because it is very funny, is very in tune with that YouTube culture and providing a commentary on it. And it also has like, the do-it-yourself gumption of an, of honestly like the first Evil Dead in the sense that the practical effects are low budget but they look good in the, in the moment and you're having fun with Deadstream and they know the right tone to keep throughout and they know how to they know how to entertain you the entire time but not without sacrificing the horror 
And that's the biggest thing for a horror comedy. Are you going to lean farther one side or the other side? And a lot of movies uh, never find that balance. Deadstream finds the balance. Deadstream is the best of indie cinema, like, you know, just distilled down to storytelling and the right perspective. And also, like, you know, again, the fact that I didn't completely hate Joseph Winter's performance as Sean. uh, Yeah, that is a testament to its own right there. So I had an absolute blast with Deadstream and it is going to be rewatched many, many times. Yeah, I wish I liked this one as much as others did. And I'm so glad that people like this movie as much as they do. This was like the definition of middle of the road for me. Like if you look at my list, this is maybe give or take one or two slots. This is like right in the middle. Um, I didn't find the film as funny. And uh, unlike you, Matt, I found it incredibly annoying. (laughs) I know that's kind of the point. um, But I think that the film is meant to be this like, Ganjim Haunted Asylum, but with like even more cringy, like Jake Paul sort of YouTubers, a corner of YouTube that I am like actively not watching. And so to spend around 90 or so minutes with this character who just won't stop fucking screaming, just won't (laughs) stop screaming, like just spends the entire movie screaming. I found this movie to be like really grating, has a couple cool scares, has a couple funny moments, but I found it to be just yeah just uh, really not up my alley i'm glad that people like it but um i i think it it is a bit of a, a wire walk of like we're trying to be annoying but we don't want to like you know completely uh, alienate any audience members unfortunately it didn't quite work as well for me yeah this uh this was at like the the outskirts of all of our lists but again the um i because i, I kind of went in i thought we were gonna have more overlap but then i was like well you know we've all seen a pretty good amount of film so the fact that you know we had four overlap i was happy with so um i was uh happy to put it on here because i've really enjoyed this one like uh I, the way i describe to people i go it's a hoot and a holler like literally like it's a <laughs> like a, it's that kind of good time like you know you're it's it's not making you laugh out loud but you're chuckling the whole time and then, you know, with some of the scares, you know, some of the scare sequences, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're super jumpy, but it's fun, you know, and like uh, the way it flip flops back and forth, like between, you know, horror and scares and like uh, parts that you think are going to be scary end up being hilarious and vice versa. Um, uh, I, I, I was uh, into his performance. Like, yeah, he was annoying. Like, he was so annoying. Like, I hated him, but like also in a very fun way and just like you know one of those times where it's like you're rooting for just the the dumb shit for him to do the dumb stuff and for the shit to happen and and he fucks around and he finds out like you know so and i'm a i'm a big fan of um um you know the 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 crossover between um you know like found footage yeah it's found footage and then like you know uh the the screen life i guess is like a new branch off of that now and uh, and and I'm into it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Spree, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do an internet horror based uh, month sometime next year. So we're gonna get into uh, some more of these types of films. Um, but uh, I'm I'm enjoying getting more of them. And uh, yeah, I thought this was because uh, I watched this I think like a couple days before Halloween. And it was a good like just like yeah, this is a good October fun time, uh, spooky shenanigans movie. Well, yeah, and Devon also uh, ties to me uh, Deadstream very parallel to the Monster Project, which we talked about. Certified yeah. Forgotten. I think I, I think it's I think it's very much the same low budget kind of first person perspective film that is very much a commentary on the kind of people who would 
want to meet monsters and interview them or go into a haunted house and gain subscribers and again with the practical effects being all practical but still done on a budget and maneuvered very well so that you don't really see the scene showing i i think i think it'd be actually a very fun double bill monster project and deadstream oh 100 i totally like didn't even think about it and like yeah those are uh parallel right next to each other so yeah definitely do a double feature of that and then uh, go on Certified Forgotten Podcast and uh, go listen to that episode. We had a real good time talking about that one. So, at number three, and now these, uh, the top three is really where um, these are all films that were, you know, decently high on our list. Um, and coming in at number three is Jordan Peele's Nope. Garrett, you go ahead and uh, lead us off with, because uh, I think this was uh, very high on your list. Yes, very high indeed. Uh, I think it's such a difficult task for Jordan Peele to continue following up his impressive works. Uh, I think when you debut with a film like Get Out and you just yeah, have a stranglehold on horror for like the next several years like he did with that film, I think it's follow it's it's difficult for him to follow himself up. But I think Nope is such a great spiritual successor to that, is so self-referential to him as a creator in a lot of ways is referencing a lot of, I think, how the country views entertainment, what people are able to or willing to do in order to get that sort of fame. I think it's so creative on a familiar genre of kind of this like alien invasion sci-fi subgenre. And I think it plays with that in such creative ways. The design alone of Jane Jacket is just one of the most like distinctive things I've seen in horror in recent years. This was one of my favorite uh, theater experiences of the year as well. Uh, saw this on like the biggest IMAX screen that I could possibly muster uh, and saw it with a completely packed crowd. This is one that I really liked when I saw, but the more and more it sat with me, the more it just continued to kind of like marinate with me in a way uh, to the point now that it was very, very high up on my list, not just for horror, but with all films that I saw this year. I was very impressed with this film. Also, hasn't just a Kraken score. Let's just talk about that. Just uh, such a good score. The modern Western influences everything. I can't say enough about this film. Uh, nope is so excellent. But, and on top of score, like look at cinematography, look at everything. I mean, it's just Jordan Peele coming into his own as a filmmaker, but also being this like, you know, arbiter for quality across the board. And it, it's not, Nope is hitting on all cylinders. Like it looks gorgeous. The score is phenomenal. And Jordan Peele knows how to put together something that is more than you're just churned out blockbuster you know it, and not even to say that nope has the budget of a blockbuster it probably doesn't compare to like the pirates of the caribbean and stuff like that but it, you watch nope and whether you liked it or not i still say it deserves a second viewing because the second time i watch nope like like any jordan peele movie there's so much more to pick up on there's so many references i think the first time you watch something like nope us get out it is you're picking up all the surface level you're picking up everything that's in your face but then you go back and watch the second time and the dots start connecting everything that you might have had questions about like you're seeing it again anew and all of a sudden that you can hone on the time your details so I, I, I it is a it is again a testament to Jordan Peele to say that like no matter what he makes his movies deserve two viewings um and you know that has not been proven wrong yet so I I just can't wait to see what comes next yeah, you know, so here's the thing, guys. Nope almost didn't make this list, or at least the top four. 
Um, uh, when we get to the honorable mentions, I'll uh, talk about there was a, a, my, my slight advantage that I had in receiving the information of the lists. Um, so uh, there, there was another movie that almost would have been top four, um, but it ended up being Nope instead. Um, it, this is my least favorite Jordan Peele movie, but which is still better than so many other people's best movies. Uh, it's really good. I enjoyed it. Um, I think I enjoyed it the more distance I got from it and just like kind of uh, just like kind of thought about it a little bit less deep, I guess, in a way. And uh, and just like because I do love the the melding of the sci fi elements with like the adventure elements of it. Um, you know, it like felt like Twister, but with alien uh, with an alien at the end. And um, I thought that was cool. I really like the themes that they were exploring. Um, but I am in the camp that I think this movie would have been way better if Steven Yeun's character was the protagonist or the main character, at least. Um, I thought he was such a, a way more compelling character. Um, but that's, you know, that's just me. Um, uh, but for the film that we do get, like, I enjoy it, uh, on the filmmaking level of it. Like, I mean, some of those sequences are so thrilling, uh, the, the, the raining of, you know, um, you know, entrails and guts and blood on the house is just, I mean, that's, that's epic. You know, I'm a, I'm a bitch for, for a, a, a rain, rain of blood. And, uh, it's just, you know, we get, we get a little bit of everything in this one and, uh, I, I do enjoy it. Um, it just not as much as, uh, maybe the general consensus or, uh, within his filmography, but I do enjoy it. I, and I also just love the fact that we have a movie where, uh, the monster is a giant alien named Jean Jacket. I think that's just great. <laughs> that's swell. <laughs> All right. So coming in at number two is Ty West's, which one? X. So, Donato, go ahead and lead us off uh, talking about X here at number two. Yeah, this is uh, Ty West's uh, return to the slasher genre because he directed uh, television episodes of Scream. So not to say he's never done it before. This is just his first uh, feature slasher, let's say. And very much in the vein of Southern exploitation slasher, uh, slasher flicks, your Texas Chainsaws, everything that is sweaty and smoldery and sunny and yet still so dangerous and deadly and it's pretty simple a bunch of uh a bunch of people want to make a porno and they go rent out the wrong uh cabin to do so on a land that is owned by <laughs> well we've seen pearl so now we know parts about pearl that uh influence her villainy in x and it is just all out slasher goodness. I, it, you know, there's nothing really much to get into on that sense. It's people out there in the wrong place, wrong time who get picked off one by one. And, uh, Pearl gives more backstory into why that they're getting picked off one by one. It, you know, you could think it is this like religious thing, this prude thing. Uh, and you learn more about the elders who own the property and you learn more about them, uh, in X itself. But then the backstory is so crucial, I think, you know, so it really works well together, but for me, X is the better movie, better slasher, better kills, better everything. And talk, the way I was talking about, nope, I feel it about X too because everything feels elevated. The score, mm -hmm. the cinematography, it, it's just we are thinking about slashers as more than just TNA, as more than just gratuitous kills. And I, I think that is a nice evolution for the slasher itself because they fell out of fell out of grace as a subgenre for a while because everyone was done with just the titillation and I want more in my horror. Well, 
cool, slashers are coming back now because filmmakers are figuring out a way to do a slasher in the modern environment. Yeah, so Garrett, you um, did not have, you had the other Ty West a little higher up on your list. How do you feel about X here at number two? You know, I'm okay with it. I think it's this is one of those films that is so popular and so many genre fans really, really champion that I'm fine giving it like, bumping it up a bit you know it's it's almost kind of when like uh like black panther was nominated for best picture i'm like is this one of the eight best movies of the year i don't think so but so many people love it that you might as well kind of throw it a bone i see um for me i like pearl more i think pearl is a little bit more thoughtful i think it's style i just think is less borrowed if that makes sense i think that ty west's influences are kind of on his sleeve with x um, i think it's a really fun film i think it's got a lot of humor some really excellent practical kills some really memorable performances and sequences um, so as much as i enjoyed x i think uh, pearl is a little bit more distinctive for myself but um, x was just so so beloved by so many genre fans uh that i i'm totally fine with it being um in our top 10 list would i have it as high as number two no i don't have it as high as number two but i'm fine with it being in our top 10 for sure yeah um see i'm kind of i'm on like almost the exact opposite on some of the things that you're saying in favor of x over pearl um as i felt that the um the aesthetic here feels a little bit more natural like yeah he's paying homage to to you know films uh an era that he really enjoys but he is doing it in his very own way um like i mean even just uh, i love the way with the the transitions the way that shots would leak into each other uh into like the next scene like i always thought that was just like a nice like cool little touch and and um and and I'm more interested in uh, kind of the, the ideas and themes that he's exploring with X uh, rather than uh, Pearl herself as a character. Um, and I actually liked X more after seeing Pearl. Um, it, it, but it made me appreciate it for X being its own film a little bit more, um, it, you know, of because we get to really hang out with these characters and kind of, um, you know, hear them, you know, wax poetic about their romantic feelings about filmmaking even though they are making a porno, you know? So it's like, obviously, us as horror fans can relate to that same sentiment, you know, that, like, no, this is art still, like, you know. Um, so I really enjoyed, like, really getting to hang out with these characters and then uh, seeing that uh, conflict with the uh, ideals of Pearl, um, you know, and her, you know, feelings of, of, um, of you know, the, the being jealous of the youthfulness, but then... And obviously, you know, we get a little bit more, we, we got a lot more backstory on that in Pearl, but even still, I liked the, what, just uh, what we were able to draw in from it on, like, what Pearl wanted and why she did the things to these people that she's doing. And, uh, but it's, it's very stylish. I love the kills. Uh, I mean, the, the, we get a variety of kills. We get some good slashes. We get an alligator, like, I mean, all the fun stuff. Um, and uh, I just really appreciate it. I, and I again, like for me, um, I feel like the 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 aesthetic uh, was more naturalistic in this one versus um, in in Pearl. It felt to me like the aesthetic was just for like the hook of it to be like, oh yeah, it's uh, Psycho meets uh, Wizard of Oz. And I was like, this doesn't really feel very Wizard of Oz. It's just it, it's just Technicolor. It's cool. So you know, uh, which is fine. But so I'm. Uh, very happy with X here at number two. So, for our number one movie, this was the one film that was in all three of our top fives. 
at some position. Um, we've already talked about it a little bit throughout the show. Um, and that is the menu here at number one on our collective list. Donato, talk to us about the menu. So good. I, I already mentioned that it is probably one of my favorite movies of the year, uh, horror or otherwise. And what, again, I will repeat, it is a great exploration of the toxic relationship between art, artist, and consumer. Because what happens is you have Chef Julian, who invites selected guests to his restaurant, Hawthorne, on a private island. And it is the most sought-after ticket, you know, in all of restaurateurs and all that stuff. So everyone is very excited to come back. Some are returning guests, some are new guests. A, a critic is there. Uh, and what we eventually find out is that Chef Julian has invited everyone there to die. And they don't know that, of course. They think they're going for an elaborate dinner party with many courses that are served. But course by course, we figure out that Chef Julian is toying with his guests and that they all have some kind of connection to him throughout his years. And what the story becomes is a chef at his wits end who has lost his passion, who is driven hard for so long to achieve Michelin status that he forgets why he's even a chef anymore, who's creating things that people don't remember. And yet they're so brilliant in his mind. So you just get all these brilliant uh, little connections between the types of people who take art for granted and the types of people who, you know, are the critics and the Instagrammers and all all these other different people against art, let's say, in an artist's mind. But then you also get the deterioration of the artists themselves and what what grind culture does and what perfectionism does. And it all comes together in a fire of chocolate and marshmallow and other things. Yeah, I mean, uh, between this and the bear coming out this year, I love uh. that the service industry is just feeling very seen this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, this movie is currently at my number one. Um, I love this movie just with every course. It just kept getting better. And just, you know, it just it was, uh, the, you know, the, the mischief was, like, very tasty and just, like, and I just was constantly like, you know, laughing throughout. But then also I feel like I've seen uh, a lot of people do the thing. Oh, is this actually a horror movie? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like somebody literally offs himself in the middle of a dinner party. Uh, people are set on fire at the end of this film. Like, yes, this is a horror film. There is very dark and treacherous intentions behind what Julian is doing. Um, but again, like as a, as a, you know, lifelong ser uh, service industry person, he's, I can't tell you how many times that like, you know, you're with a coworker and they, and somebody just goes, I will, I would just burn this place to the ground if I could. <laughs> and Julian had the balls to do it. He said, I will, and I will go down with it. Um, which is, you know, what I find so fascinating about his character that like, you know, he is somebody that is asked so much and you know chefs are known for uh you know the sacrifices they make for the lifestyle that they are so like the fact that he still goes full send with that like hey like no i'm not just gonna kill you like this we're all of us we're, we're all in this you know so it is um this interesting you know coagulation of like you said like the the art and the consumer and just you know uh you know getting upset for not feeling appreciated you know like for simply just not appreciating uh, your efforts, your art, and the things that you do, and um, it's just, it's, it's just, it's very snappy. Like I can't wait to rewatch this and watch it again, and like kind of pick up on uh, the things with like Nicholas Holt's character, 
uh, kind of going on in the background. I mean, uh, the the supporting ensemble in general, fantastic, um, and just so many, so many great uh, little sequences. Um, one of my favorite lines though is the, uh, uh, what 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 college you go to? Brown? Any student loans? No. Yep, you're dying. Uh, just <laughs> that that little exchange like says so much about the thesis of the film and uh his intentions on like why he is punishing all these people in in this way so i fucking loved it what about you garrett yeah the menu was was so much fun uh echoing everything that matt had already mentioned in regards to this like art versus artist versus you know the audience sort of dilemma uh and this push and pull that happens um but i think that 2022 was a year where a lot of films were dissecting class kind of like how the country was dissecting class and i think that this film did the best out of a lot of movies that we saw this year um i think it has like the perfect amount of bite and cynicism to it with such a sense of humor that i don't think it becomes like inflated with this like self-importance or anything like that i think it is super tongue-in-cheek and very silly silly enough like the ending sequence of this movie alone is just so outlandish and so ridiculous but really points towards the humor uh, of this film um i think it's also just wrought with tension i'm really uh able to watch this film have no idea where it's going from one moment to the next uh, and just kind of see this journey that this character goes on and it also features a lovely performance for uh from my wife anya taylor joy who is just an absolute delight in this movie so shout out anya one time <laughs> another resident screen queen you know and she's uh i love in this one she isn't uh doing as much as she has to do in other films like she she really just gets to hold it down for the movie like she's a very rock steady final girl throughout mm-hmm. this and but I, again like her exchanges with ray fines together uh, were so fantastic like i really did um love their interactions together and uh but again like i like that she got to do a little more subtle role where she's really just like you know showing off her her delivery and like you know like uh the way that she handles you know dialogue is uh, very fascinating so the menu is definitely gonna be uh, talked about uh, later here on the podcast. Oh, wait, it's going to be happening next week as uh, one of our guests chose this for their fi- uh, favorite film of 2022 as well. So I'm very excited to get to go uh, course by course uh, with that movie and really get to dig into it. But there were, of course, a lot of movies that we left off the list. So we do want to do uh, some rapid fire uh, honorable mentions uh, that you know were close to uh, either being chosen for the list or um you know otherwise uh donato go ahead and hit us with a few of your honorable mentions yeah totally uh my first one is called the innocence it is an international flick that is (laughs) basically sold or my best way to sell it is it's like a superhero origin story for small children on a playground who just realize they are fine like they find out they have powers and maybe it's more bright burn than it is something pluckier and as you basically have children who haven't matured at all and who are just trying to wield these abilities that they have no idea what they can accomplish with good or bad and there's a reason i mention it as a genre film there's a reason i mention it as a horror film so yeah some shit goes bad <laughs> um so i don't <laughs> want to spoil that one in case you haven't seen it it's a little lesser talked about but uh it's called the innocence definitely look that one up another one i would say to look up is the harbinger and there were two movies that came out this year called The Harbinger. Wild. Uh, def- yeah, definitely. Actually, like, not even far apart from each other. So, like, 
make sure you watch Andy Mitten's The Harbinger, the one that is the COVID-19 horror film. And I want to call it out specifically because it is set in the backdrop of the early pandemic. And I know that we are looking down the barrel of a gigantic movement of horror that's going to be all movies that take place during the pandemic. We're seeing it happen already. Bit by bit, there are just going to be more movies that reflect on the pandemic because that's what horror does. It reflects on the environment. It reflects on our fears, our anxieties. And we were all locked inside for a very long time. So I think we're going to have some horror movies about that. But The Harbinger so far is the best example I have seen of using the pandemic as a storytelling device, but creating a horror film that itself puts the pandemic in the background because the harbinger, the demon that is unleashed is more of a Freddy Krueger, more of a person who preys on your dreams while you're locked inside your, your apartment, your house. So like, you know, we were, we were all looking at the same four walls for a very long time, wherever we were. And that became our environment and sleep was this one place we could escape, you know, like we, we could go into dreamland and that was the one place that was different from everything we'd seen. So imagine that becoming a horror film now where you can't even escape in your dreams. So I really want to shout out The Harbinger because I think it is one of the spookier films of 2022 and one that really did a number on me. Yeah. So, so Garrett, I'm looking at your list and you had ones higher that you did not play on here because were you assuming you were, you were trusting us to put some of these on here? I was, you rat bastards. You played the black phone and orphan first kill instead of instead of Barbarian, you son of a bitch. Yeah, Barbarian's the best horror movie of the year. What the fuck are you guys on? No, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, my favorite, uh, like, movie-going experience of the year. Just every twist and turn. Just uh, We're going to talk about it. You know, I'll, I'll save my thoughts. This is my favorite horror movie of the year, so we're going to talk about it in coming weeks. Very disappointed in you guys. So that's an, that is an obvious honorable mention. Uh, I also wanted to shout out Prey. Um, Maybe the best Predator film that we've ever gotten. Uh, so definitely want to shout out that as well as uh, Fresh, another movie about classism that I thought was uh, not only super funny but really tense as well. Uh, as well as Scream, which was my favorite uh, slasher film of the year. The uh, I think it really perfected kind of the the requel as it coins it. I think it plays so well. It is a great yin to the yang as opposed to, you know, the David Gordon Green, like Halloween movies. I think it was uh, really, really spectacular. But goddamn, leaving Barbarian out of this top 10 list is a, is a crying shame. We're going to get comments, Devon. We're going to get comments. Well, hey, well, good thing we're going to talk about it more in depth where I definitely have some thoughts and I'm uh, I'm intrigued. Uh, the thing that I'll say is because I have not watched it again since it came out or since I watched it the first time. Fun ride. Is it going to hold up on a rewatch? That is the big question for me with this movie. So that's why I'm fine with it being left off the list because I'm just not sure. But we're going to find out. We are going to find out. And of course, uh, if you guys uh, go back in the feed or on Garrett's YouTube channel, uh, Garrett did get to talk to Zach Krieger um, and uh, with uh, some of his process behind the film, which we'll be uh, referencing in that episode whenever we talk about Barbarian more. So we'll definitely be doing it. And uh, as far from me as a couple that were uh, almost in there that like I really uh, did like kind of make uh, quick changes on, uh, one is um, we're all going to the World's Fair. Um, that was almost going to be in the orphan spot, but, uh, alas, Esther, you know, Esther wins. Um, Uh, and, uh, but, uh, it is a movie that I think we're going to have an opportunity to talk about at some point, uh, next year, whether it be this month or, uh, in the internet horror month. So 
between one of these uh, two months, we're going to talk about it at some point, but that was one of the more emotionally affecting movies uh, that I had because it just hits you if you uh, came up in a very specific time in internet culture. And if it hits you in that spot, like it really, this is a very effective movie, but also a very eerie, very creepy, um, and just like a very fascinating movie. But then it was like one that I listened to a podcast of uh, Mary Beth talking about it, and it kind of like changed my whole thoughts about it. I think it was the Horror Queers episode. So so that's why it confused me a little bit, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to throw it on the list right now, but we're going to talk about it at some point. Uh, Flex Gourmet, another movie. Um, that's another movie that's just like, you know, that's my shit. I kind of knew I was going to love it, like, even before I watched anything about it. And I was like, I think this is going to be for me. And, of course, it was. Like, I really loved uh, the emphasis on a food horror this year. Um, but another film that uh, deals with a lot of, you know, art and artists and, um, you know, and the way that it goes through it. And uh, if you haven't watched a Peter Strickland movie, there's something special, you know, so uh, watch In Fabric, watch a Barbarian Sound Studio. Um, he's a he's a very uh, interesting director. Uh, his films, very fun to watch on drugs, guys. Just saying. Um, yeah. But uh, so Flux Gourmet, shout out to that one. And then uh, a movie starring one of my wives is uh, Duel, starring uh, Karen Gillan. Uh, she almost got a shout out for her favorite performance in doing a you know, dual role, of course. Um, but um, she, you know, um, with that director's work with uh, Riley Stearns, like you got to uh, put a very specific performance on to pull off this dialogue in this weird way. He's kind of a Yorgos Lanthimos uh, feel in a way. And uh, I really like uh, this movie. It kind of is like one of those like extended Black Mirror episodes in a way. Um, it, uh, dealing with an interesting premise and uh, interesting themes of, you know, the the way that people deal with death and the way that you know uh who is it about you know when you're dying you know is it a, you know how much or is it about you how much is it about the people around you and the way that you kind of grapple with that but then uh doing it with a very interesting premise of um you know having to uh duel to the death with your clone and having like a year to prepare for it so uh watching her performance and like what she uh learned going through up to that point and then the end the end i'm still like back and forth on i'm like shit i don't i don't know like it, it, it's one i've been still like picking at so uh duel another one uh go check that one out <clears throat> but um that'll do it for this list i'm pretty happy with the list i think this shook out pretty nicely with the the overlaps that we had um um garrett i already see you, you this didn't happen the way that you wanted but how do you feel about uh our collective list as a representation of the year i think that although this list maybe isn't you know quite lining up with what would be my top 10 of the year i think that this is a good representative list of what a lot of people were talking about this year with a good mix of some films that people maybe weren't talking about so um, if anything i think that all of the films that we discussed today should be on your rotation for that you know final rush of movies that you're trying to get in for your uh, 2022 wrap-up as i know i am so uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it i'm excited to talk more in depth about some of our own personal favorites and some episodes to come yeah how about you donato what do you think about our list yeah, same vibe. Uh, I, that's why I tried to throw in like Satan Slaves to start versus Scream because like, yeah, Scream is right there for me. Uh, Barbarian as well, Garrett. I apologize for not using it, but same thing. Like 
those movies are already being talked about tremendously. Like a screen movie is going to come out and we're all going to watch it. Barbarian's already on HBO Max and it did have a lot of uh, word of mouth. So I, I do try to highlight the Harbingers and the Satan Sleeves 2s and those kind of films because I try to watch as much horror as possible. Like, you know, open your horizons. Don't just think a movie coming out in theaters is the only valuable form of horror and stuff like that. So I think this is a good representation. We have hit all the corners and, you know, anything that we might've missed over on the blockbuster scale, like you've already heard of and talked about already. So like, why do, why do we need to cover that? You know, let it, let us cover the other stuff. Yeah. I think we, again, we hit like all those different corners, the different sizes, the different release strategies. And of course, you know, mix in some personal favorites in there, of course, as well. And uh, we will be talking many more things of uh, some of these films that were on the list, some that were not on the list, uh, depending on uh, what some other guests pick. So I'm very excited to uh, dig a little deeper into uh, some of these films that were, again, like uh, in a in a banner year for horror, um, we we got just a we we were we were we were very spoiled this year, and and, and we deserved it. Damn it! Um, so Matt, thank you so much for returning and doing this list with us. Uh, what are you working on? Where can people find you on the internets? You can find me at Donato Bomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, and Hive, as long as those apps are all running. <laughs> um, just keep up to date if any, any die. But yeah, so follow me there. I have a page on Authory, which has all of my articles nicely curated and stuck there for you. Um, and you should also check out Certified Forgotten, a podcast I co-host, where we review horror movies with 10 or less critic reviews. And we just try to champion the ones that Rotten Tomatoes forgot. So all that stuff find me on the socials and uh, anything upcoming um i'm gonna be playing video games for the next week straight because i'm <laughs> done with all my end of year recaps and i'm not ready to start 2023 yet <laughs> hell yes and we'll have links to all that in the uh, show notes as well as uh i'll put a link to uh to matt's ign uh list with his full top 20 with some expanded thoughts if you guys want to check that out garrett what are you up to Oh, well, when I'm not stuck in Indiana, hoping to get back home, uh, hopefully when I'm back home by the time this episode publishes, uh, you guys can follow me over on TikTok. I'll be publishing my uh, full thoughts and my uh, full reviews and uh, a top 10 ranking of uh, not just genre films this year. Uh, so if you want to see that as well as my letterbox, just at Garrett McDowell as well. Uh, you can see my entire ranking of all of the films that I saw this year, both good and bad. Uh, so, yeah, those places as well as Twitter, again, if it's still kicking, we don't really know these days. Uh, so Twitter as well as Hive at Garrett McDowell. And you can find me, as always, at underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter, Instagram, all the things. Uh, peep on the um, Spectre Cinema Club TikTok and Tumblr page, which will be where I'll post my um, more individual list on one of those. So be on the lookout for those, as well as um, I'll be doing another Horror Roundtable on the Incinerator podcast. And uh, still got a, uh, some time before that one. So who knows? That list might be, uh, might be different then. So uh, be tuning in for that. But now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.